it takes a borderline obsession to be able to do it. You have to like wake up and be like, okay, great, I get to train my one arms today. And for months and months, this guess is going to be drudgery. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dharma Talk. I'm your host, Henry Winslow, and this is episode number 72. That clip about obsession was from my guest this week, Sean Langhouse. Sean is a friend of mine. He owns a studio in downtown Manhattan called Warrior Bridge, and he is an extremely inspirational yoga practitioner and teacher. Like many of the other guests that I've had on of late, he is someone who has come through many different styles of practice in and outside of the yoga world, and in doing so, he has crafted his own unique style of movement and teaching that he so enthusiastically shares with others. Sean tells that story of how each piece led to another, and he starts as far back as his first impression of a handstand at the tender age of 13 at his friend's bar mitzvah. That has become a love affair that has extended up until the present day with him training his one-arm handstand and handstand variations for three hours a day, most days of the week. So, Sean is definitely someone to talk to about obsession and what it takes to maintain a level of discipline over the long haul. We talk about all of that as well as what these different practices mean to him and why they've all had a place in his heart and have fit together to feed his understanding of himself and others. So on this episode, you will hear from Sean about yoga, martial arts, and acro yoga, and the role each plays in his self-reflection and relationship to other people. Sean talks about adapting a yoga practice to meet your personal goals as they change over time. And, of course, he shares a bit about his long journey to that elusive one-arm handstand and the elements of training and mindset that he considers essential to keeping a commitment. All of that is coming up very soon. Please just stay tuned through these announcements, and we'll dive into my interview with Sean Langhouse. All right, New York City yogis, this Saturday is my long-awaited vegan anniversary yoga and pizza party. If you've been following the podcast or following me on Instagram, you've no doubt heard about it, but this is my one-year celebration of having gone vegan. So I'm hosting a two-hour yoga class at Lighthouse Yoga School this Saturday, 5 to 7 p.m., and then from 7 until around 8.30, we'll have a party. The big update is that I'm catering with Double Zero Pizza. This is a really fancy, beautiful pizzeria from Matthew Kinney, acclaimed vegan chef. And we're going to have pizzas from, from Matthew Kinney at the party. There will also be vegan ice cream from Koku. We will have plant bites from Keats Co. And there will be prizes, uh, essential vegan multivitamins from Future Kind, and organic plant-based protein from Ideal Raw. So I would love to see you all come out there and celebrate with me. You do not need to be vegan to attend. I assure you that anyone can enjoy this delicious food. And of course, the yoga is for all as well. 25% of the proceeds from this event will benefit Woodstock Farm Sanctuary, an animal rescue shelter in upstate New York. To sign up, head over to henrywins.com events. 
Yogis everywhere. I am also excited to announce that this December, my wife Veronica and I will be leading a yoga retreat to the Indonesian island of Bali. Our week together in Bali will offer you the perfect environment to refocus on what's calling you, your purpose, your perfect path, your dharma, so that you can move forward with renewed vigor into growth and service to others. The dates for the retreat are December 5th through 11th, seven days and six nights. Each day we'll have two yoga classes and a group meditation. We'll start the mornings in silence. And of course, there will be three delicious plant-based meals every single day. We've also got excursions planned into the island and some more surprises. So if you're interested, head on over to henrywinds.com slash Bali to get the details and make a deposit. Once again, that's henrywinds.com slash Bali, B-A-L-I. Let's clear space for reconnection together. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your Dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I have my friend Sean Langhouse on the call. Sean has been teaching yoga and movement for the past seven years in New York City and is the founder of Warrior Bridge in downtown Manhattan. In Sean's journey, he has practiced and trained with acclaimed yoga teachers, lineage holders, martial arts masters, and circus acrobats. He specializes in teaching holistic movement practice, hand balancing, and acro yoga, and always has an eye open for inspiration from any source. Sean, I love that your mentality around this is basically unlimited. You know, you're willing to take inspiration and practices from all different types of teachers and practices and modalities. So I'm excited to talk to you about all of that. But first of all, thank you for coming on the show. And how are you doing this morning? Yeah, my pleasure for being on the show, Henry. Um, I'm doing great. Uh, just kind of starting off my day, uh, had my coffee, had my water and uh, yeah, excited to talk some Dharma. Priorities. Coffee and water. (laughs) Always. Got to have the pair. Yes. All right. Well, we'll start with the first question, which all of my guests are presented with first. What does the word Dharma mean to you? And what is your Dharma as you understand it today? Yeah. um, What does Dharma mean and what is my Dharma today? It's such an interesting question. I think, um, you know, um, as I understand Dharma, uh, it's very much your purpose, your purpose, uh, what you're here to do, what you're here to kind of offer the world, what kind of contribution you're making. Um, and then what is my Dharma? You know, that one's a little bit more interesting. That's, uh, I guess I'm, I'm still figuring it out a little bit. Um, for the last, uh, almost decade, it's very much been to teach, um, And then like what it is I'm teaching has changed several times over, but it's something along the lines of empowering people, um, teaching people they're capable of things they didn't believe. And then also just helping people feel more 
at peace with who they are and what they're doing and following their dharma maybe yeah and that is the fine balance right and keeping people open and ambitious about accomplishing new things but still being content with where they are i like what you said about um not fully knowing you know your purpose or your dharma but i think that that's totally um reasonable and fine it situates well with at least my understanding of dharma which involves yes a a component of contribution but also the aspect of it always evolving and unfolding itself so you mentioned that you've taught a lot of different things can you take me through your journey of starting with perhaps yoga and moving into these other methodologies yeah totally um So growing up uh, from like my pre-teenage years up until like my early 20s, skateboarding was actually uh, the main thing I did. It was like my main movement practice. And uh, so I was was always pretty like active and pretty like uh, athletic moving around growing up. Uh, But then when I was in college, I started to get more into like fitness and martial arts and that was actually what led me to yoga in the first place. Um, I kind of approached it like a lot of other people. I followed a girl to a yoga class and well, didn't follow. She invited me. Um, and <laughs> important distinction, <laughs> important distinction here. Um, cause she, it was my roommate and she was, uh, she, uh, saw that I was always trying to stretch and trying to get more flexible for Taekwondo. And she said, why don't you come to yoga with me? And I was at this point that I was pretty primed to, like give it a try. And I went, and I just remember it being this incredible feeling of, uh, everything I had done up into that point was so, was really powerful. It was skateboarding and martial arts and weightlifting. So there's always like this strong intensity and the yoga, it had that, but in a different way, there was, it was more of like this slow burn that I'm sure you can, uh, kind of relate to. And, Yoga, that was kind of my entry into yoga back in like 2000, 2010, maybe. Um, And since then, I've just kind of followed wherever that practice has taken me. Uh, So I moved to New York. And when I moved to New York, I started training a lot of Brazilian jujitsu at uh, the Marcelo Garcia Academy. This is one of the uh, aforementioned martial arts masters. He's kind of known as like the Michael Jordan of Brazilian jujitsu. Um, and he has a school up in Chelsea that I was lucky enough to train at for several years, uh, pretty full time. And yeah, through that, I just kept learning from different teachers. Um, once I kind of, once I started this yoga teaching journey, the martial arts kind of started to take a little bit of a backseat just cause I was trying to keep my body a little bit healthier. And I just started to be more interested in a lot of the all this area that was open for me to explore and was really welcoming me to explore through yoga. Um, and yoga led me to acro yoga and acrobatics. Well, and- let's pause there for a second because yeah. you said that you, um, you started to put martial arts sort of in the backseat in order to focus on the healing aspect of yoga. Were you injured by your martial arts or was it taking more of a, like a cumulative toll? What happened there? Uh, I would I would say definitely both. Um, I had some pretty acute injuries. Um, 
I, in one of my last jujitsu tournaments, um, I was doing really well and was like really trying to win. Uh, I was trying to win a tournament and I, uh, I got caught in an arm lock and I escaped the first one. Um, and I got top position again and then I got caught in it again and I thought I could escape, but uh, I wound up getting some fairly, uh, traumatic injury to my elbow in that. Uh, but that didn't discourage me too much. But I think when I quit my job to, uh, to become a teacher, uh, to like start teaching yoga full time, I was, uh, pretty, pretty early on, like maybe like a month after I quit my job, I wound up getting a pretty bad neck injury, uh, from it. And it was actually a combination of like skateboarding and yoga and jujitsu all at the same time. But I kind of was, you know, I was probably like 23, 24 at the time. And suddenly I'm like, I can barely move my neck and it was just pretty scary. So I started to think, uh, you know, I have to take care of my body if I'm going to try to make this my profession. And Mm. so that led to me kind of taking just a, a softer approach to the Brazilian jiu-jitsu for, and martial arts in general for a little while. Gotcha. But, but then it just, uh, you know, the injuries, I'm sure I could have, uh, I'm sure with like proper preparation and mindfulness around how I practice, I could have, uh, continued practicing. And to some degree I still do practice, but it just wasn't as interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of took that journey where, as far as I kind of needed to take it at this moment. And I saw all these other things out there that were really open to explore. Totally. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I, I tend to look at injuries as teachers. So, you know, if you get a signal like that, it's important to pay attention and, and be intentional about your decisions afterward. You know, Definitely. I, I, you had already sort of made a decision to focus on the yoga more so than the other uh, more so than the martial arts or skateboarding in quitting your job to become a yoga teacher though. Right. Uh, sort of, uh, at that point, my, you know, it was very much a, uh, the decision to quit my job was very much this, uh, pursuit of Dharma. Um, so I was already out of yoga teacher training. So I had already been, I had already like read Bhagavad Gita and I had already been, and I was really big into like self-help personal development literature. Mm-hmm. So I was very much in this mindset of like following your, following your path, living your truth. Um, and to me at that point, it was definitely going to be a culmination of all of these things. Uh, maybe not so much skateboarding at that point, but I forget, maybe that was still a part of it, but um, I definitely imagined myself teaching martial arts and, uh, teaching yoga and teaching Uh, yoga to martial artists. Um, to me, it was very much like a, a combined journey mm -hmm. for, for a long time. It was very, the, the yoga and the martial arts were pretty inseparable. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So at, at that point, you know, you were already considering your path and how to be of unique service in a way. Um, so then, then what happened? Uh, you know, I, I kind of interrupted your story by asking those questions, but I think uh, they were helpful for me, at least to understand where you were coming from. Yeah, no, no problem. I love to list, just let it flow. Um, so I think, so I think where I left off was actually kind of the entry of acro yoga and acrobatics into the picture. That's and right. this was actually, 
this was a big part of it. Um, so I was in yoga teacher training and someone uh, posted in our Facebook group, like, does anyone want to try acro yoga? And they described it as this combination of ac uh, partner acrobatics, yoga and Thai massage. And it was, it was sounded really interesting to me. I remember just taking a look at a, a video of it. And I was like, Oh wow, that's really cool. And it almost even looked like Brazilian jujitsu because a lot of it was like a base laying on their ground with their legs up in the air, um, holding a person up in the air. Whereas in like jujitsu, you would either be like laying on your back, fighting someone off with your legs or throwing them over your head and <laughs> right. continuing. But, um, yeah, so I saw acro yoga and then I tried acro yoga and it was really interesting to me how, so for me, yoga was very much a pursuit of learning about myself and kind of learning how I operated and learning how to interact with the, uh, the I was going to say the voices in my head, but uh, the uh, interacting with the mind right. is probably a less crazy way to say that. <laughs> um, and martial arts was very much a journey of learning how to interact with other people, but there's almost this, there's always that undertone of it's a confrontation. You're learning how to deal with altercation, confrontation, um, and how do you do that in a mindful way, but it's always kind of at odds with each other. And what- Right, right. There's still a conflict between the two people. There's still a conflict. Yeah. And what acro was really, and acro yoga was really interesting for was- starting to look, apply this kind of like yogic lens to how I dealt with other people. Um, and how do you, how do you cooperate and build with other people? And I saw that and I couldn't quite put my finger on like the full picture, but I kind of had it in my mind that like yoga and martial arts and acro yoga were these kind of trifecta, um, that all helped you just deal with these different parts of life. Um, so, and that was the plan was to kind of continue on that path for a while. And in many ways I did, and I did wind up opening a uh, warrior bridge with um, a business partner who was an Aikido master, is an Aikido master. And so that was kind of, that almost brings us to where we're at now. So, but well, almost, that was like five years ago, we opened warrior bridge and it was a school uh, designed to offer the practices of yoga, martial arts, and meditation. And kind of at the point that we were opening that, I was getting very into the acro yoga. So acro yoga kind of had this entryway into it. And yeah, acro yoga has been a, that's been a major driver in my personal practice for the past coming up on seven years now. Um, and it's been really incredible. It's really that's opened the door to acrobatics and circus arts. And, you know, that's been just an entire journey in itself mm -hmm. uh, that I could talk for hours about. I love this idea of, of the trifecta where yoga and meditation help you to learn how to deal with the inner workings of yourself and your mind. The martial arts help you deal with other people in terms of, you know, a contradiction or conflict relationship. And the acro yoga helps you to learn how to cooperate and collaborate with others. That's a, that's a beautiful system that you uh, envisioned for, for the studio and for your practice. 
So what does your personal practice look like now? You know, catch us up to present day with the influence of the acrobatics and, and acro yoga. What are you working on and how do you work on it? Cool. Yeah. So every day is kind of like a, a multifaceted practice. Um, it always starts with uh, the self and kind of taking care of my own body and my own mind. Um, so I try to have the morning routine that involves a little bit of mindfulness, a little bit of movement. Um, so it's very much about preparation for the body, but in this, like, so I would say it's very body focused, but at the same time, when you're working into your body in like a very methodical, very conscientious way, you're also kind of blocking out the thoughts. So then you're kind of just in the moment. So though there's not necessarily a ton of uh, asana or pranayama or even like seated meditation, it's very much a yoga practice. Um, so yeah, morning mobility and prehab and movement just to kind of get my body ready. That'll lead into, it'll depend on what I'm doing that day, but then there's a lot of hand balance, uh, a lot of handstand practice um, in my daily practice, probably five to six days a week, uh, there'll be a, at least some level of a handstand practice about an hour or two to three hours. And then uh, some days I'll do uh, more acrobatic stuff, uh, like with a partner. And yeah, that'll be whatever we're working on. Um, so at this point, it'll be a lot of uh, almost circus skills. Uh, working with like hand-to-hand -hand and Icarian games. Um, I'm realizing these terms might not mean a lot, but... Uh, yeah, break them down. Well, break down those terms. Uh, so like hand-to-hand uh, -hand would be the base, the person who's on the bottom, uh, basically is almost doing like a bench press with someone in a handstand, uh, do, doing a handstand in their hands. You could also do it where the base is like standing up. And it's more of like an Olympic lifting sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily with all the movement, but just you're holding someone in your hands. So that's the hand-to-hand -hand, uh, connection. Their, their handstand to your hands. I carry in games is uh, a version of foot juggling. So if you've ever seen someone uh, like juggling like chairs or like tables with their feet, um, you, I actually do that with people. Whoa. So I, I, uh, yeah. So with my partner, we'll, uh, we'll do different flips, uh, that'll, I'll be laying on my back and then, uh, like she'll be in some kind of shape, uh, that'll be kind of juggled around. She'll be doing different kinds of flips and twists. Um, so yeah, it's very much, uh, beyond like a static yoga pose at this point. Right. Acro yoga was it definitely acro yoga at its like most basic level. It's uh, it almost looks like just like partner yoga poses, like someone's doing a shalabhasana or someone's doing a danyarasana on the base's feet, or there might be like a some basic inversions, or there'll be more therapeutic postures that stretch out the low back or the shoulders. Um, but then, often the way that I practice it now, just because you know I'm, I've always been kind of into this uh, extreme side of things and kind of seeing. I've always been into the tricks and seeing how far you can push your body. Yeah, uh, yeah. It definitely is. I mean, it, it is circus arts because 
a lot of the people that I go out and I learn this from are people that are in like Cirque du Soleil mm-hmm. or are professional circus performers. Well, and, and the name of acro yoga, it's a contraction of acrobatics and yoga, right? I mean, that's, yeah, it's tricks. It's right there in the name. Yeah. There. Yeah. So the acrobatics I would say is the tricks. Uh, and the acro yoga is a lot of people will have different uh, definitions for what is acro yoga, but I think, and that's just going to depend on like which uh, lineage of acro yoga you're asking and which person. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause some people practice acro yoga, but they don't actually understand that there are lineages and that's not really important, but to like make it really simple, I'd say acro yoga is applying, it's practicing acro acrobatics, but you're concerned more with the communication aspect, more with the mind, the uh, awareness of like, who you're working with. It's more about the cooperation and the partnership mm-hmm. than it is about the outcome. So it's acroyoga is much more about the process than it is about the product. I see. And even within that that um, default mode of focus, if you want to call it that, you can still lean more heavily into the acrobatic side and do the tricks, or you can lean more into the yoga side for more of a therapeutic type practice. Yeah, 100%. Um, some people will come into it and, you know, it's the same way people will approach yoga in multiple different ways. Some people will take on a highly athletic asana practice because it's the point in their life that that's what they need or what they feel drawn to. And then other people will take on a practice that's much more therapeutic in nature and much more about healing the body or, uh, the benefits for the mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah, very much so. Totally. Um, you also, you mentioned in your, like your typical day of training, you kind of glazed over that you would do one to even three hours of handstand practice. That is something I would like to hear more about because, um, as I'm sure, you know, many yoga practitioners out there have their eyes set on that handstand. So, you know, I'm guessing if you're spending an hour to three hours a day on practicing handstands, even when you were starting out, you weren't just, you know, kicking up and hoping for the best and falling down over and over again. What What is the methodology for practicing a handstand? Yeah. Um, well, when I started out, I, I very much was kicking up and falling over and trying again and trying to just like figure out this puzzle. Um, so I'll just give like the quick backstory on my handstand. Uh, my intro to it was when I was like 12 years old, I wanted to be able to, I saw my friend do a handstand on the dance floor at his bar mitzvah. And, um, I wanted to be able to do that. And he kind of just told me to like stand up and start standing, have my arms over my head and kind of throw my hands at the floor and kick my legs into the air. And I was 12. So it worked. Um, (laughs) and it worked in the, it worked in the way that like I was able to get upside down and I was trying to walk on my hands at that point. Um, I wasn't really concerned with balancing Yeah, and I never really got too far with it, but like, you know, since then, like after that, there was always a little bit of like trying to do like handstands on skateboards, trying to, uh, kick up and walk around on my hands. Um, I never really got super far with it, but there was never a fear around it. Um, when I was in yoga teacher training, um, there was a class, uh, it was led by, uh, two of my teachers, um, you know, Yancey, 
the NC Scott Schwartz. Of course, previous guest and, on Dharma uh, Talk. The, of course, I watched <laughs> the episode, listened to the episode, it was great. Um, so Yancey and also Liam McConville, who is, he's another New York teacher, um, they taught a inversion uh, rocket yoga sort of class and uh, they did handstand. And it was kind of this first uh, idea for me that, oh, a handstand can be part of yoga. Um, and the way that handstands are taught in yoga, there's not necessarily a ton of specificity or a ton of uh, adaptability. It's kind of like they show the pose and you get a few chances to try the pose. Um, but I remember I asked Scotty or Yancey, uh, how do you, what do you do if you can't stop walk? I, I kick up, but I can't stop walking. And he's like, just come down. And that was like the first introduction that I was like, oh, I'm not allowed to walk. And mm. it's like, just come down if you're going to walk. So I remember the methodology that I started with was I just put my hands on the ground. I came into like a short down dog or a short three-legged down dog. And I just started taking little kicks. And in my mind, if I could just make the kicks bigger and bigger and like find tiny bit longer float each time, that was going to be, I was going to figure it out. And I did, uh, you know, like half a second became one second, became two seconds, became five seconds. And that was kind of my methodology for uh, the first maybe six months of handstands. Um, I got some different instruction from different yoga teachers along the way. This was back in the early days of uh, Yoga to the People 2 uh, back when it was really a dream team of teachers. Uh, Talia was teaching there and Jared and Julia Zarinsky mm -hmm. and Scotty and Liam and uh, Sarah Blowers was there, Nikki Carter. Um, so I was seeing all these people like uh, starting to invert and do handstands and they would teach little bits in their class and I would pick up what they had to say. But uh, yeah, my, my handstand practice developed in a very like, not lackadaisical, but a very informal way where it was just kind of like you're playing around, you have your shot at it in class, you either get it or you don't. Um, but it was definitely the introduction to acro yoga and acrobatics that led me to much more specific uh, training for handstands. Mm -hmm. So that was, I started to learn about like straight body handstands and acrobatic handstands, learning about things like tuck jumps and straddle jumps and learning about pressing um, and then for a while that was, I didn't really have like a handstands were just still kind of a part of a larger practice. It wasn't really a practice in itself. I'd say when I got really regimented about, uh, the practice and that's when I started just doing our two hour, three hour long practices devoted to handstands was when I, uh, I really made this decision that I wanted to be able to do one arm handstands. Um, have you, have you explored that one at all? I, uh, the one arms? I, you know, I have started exploring it and it's a very humbling thing to start taking on. Uh, but really fun in that way too. It's really nice to have something that you're working on that feels like it's really far off and that's where it is for yeah. me. Um, I, I was introduced to um, some, some steps along that path when I went to go train with Miguel Santana, my first time mm -hmm. really spending any significant amount of time or, or effort or energy with a dedicated hand balancer versus yoga teacher. 
Yeah, and that can really make a difference when you just meet someone who their focus is only on handstands. So they're going to just kind of cut out anything that's not completely necessary. Like they're not necessarily concerned with uh, the calmness of your mind or even like the comfort of your body. They're concerned with how do we get uh, the handstand. Yeah. Not to say that they don't care about the body, but... Uh, no, know, no, it's a they... good point though. You know, actually Miguel did make the point of of talking about the mind and how we needed to calm our minds and, and be relaxed in the, in the handstand in order to be able to develop the stamina and endurance to, to use our strength to full capability. But he also made the point that, yeah, hand balancing is not necessarily therapeutic. Like you have to do therapeutic work to prehab and rehab for all of this training that we're doing. Yeah, 100%. Um, so to circle back, it was, I had taken a few lessons with a few different uh, like handstand coaches, hand balancers. Um, but it was when I took a lesson with a, a guy named Olaf, who uh, I would still consider my primary handstand coach. He's based out of Montreal. When I met him, he, uh, I told him that I wanted to be able to do one arm handstands. And one of the first questions he asked me was, how much time do you have to train per week? And I told him that I have the kind of schedule that I can kind of train as long as it's going to take um, just because uh, I'm a studio owner and I'm a teacher. So I kind of have a flexible schedule if I want it to be that way. And he told me it's going to, you're going to need to train probably five to six days a week, at least uh, five days, at least preferably six days a week. And the practices are going to be pretty long. Uh, they're going to be like two to three hours. Um, and at that, I was at the point where it was, yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah, and it was definitely, yeah. And I had read all these articles. There's a bunch of different people who have written about the one-arm handstand. And they almost all say, or a lot of them say, it takes a borderline obsession to be able to do it because it's just going to, you have to like wake up and be like, okay, great. I get to train my one arms today. And for months and months, it's just going to be drudgery of, and depending on where you're starting off in your, what kind of handstand you're already bringing to it. I was already very strong in a lot of ways. I already had a lot of the press ups. I already had all the press ups. Um, I could hold, handstands for I could set hold several sets of minute long handstands um but you know there was a lot of refinement that I needed to do I needed to work a lot on cleaning up my line learn starting to learn a a more efficient stacked position and then it was just a lot of times of trying to come up into that uh one arm handstand prep position where you shift the weight over towards one arm and then in the other hand is kind of in a tented position. Mm -hmm. uh, so you kind of get the feeling of like, what does 10% of a one-arm handstand feel like? What is 20%? And you just keep trying to take weight out of that tented hand really slowly until the point that you don't need it anymore. And I, you know, this time around, because uh, there had been other times that I had decided, I had like played with one arms and thought I was going to go for it. But this time around, that started maybe like almost 20 months ago at this point, um, I stuck with it. And I kept coming back to the practice. Um, it wasn't always 
not every week was six days a week, three hours a session. Um, often it was less, um, and that may have made, uh, may have taken longer, but probably somewhere around like 14 to 16 months in, I started to really feel like I could balance one arm handstands for like five to 10 seconds fairly consistently. Amazing. And <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. And it's not always, it's not always there. Um, like, you know, depending on how long I spend prepping my body, how long I spend just doing the preparatory drills, uh, what kind of apparatus I'm doing it on, whether I'm doing it on the floor or blocks or canes, that all affects how long I can hold it. But it feels pretty cool to come out on the other side and to kind of, you know, it's, it's never really like I got it and I, it's done. It's always a work in progress, but it's cool to kind of see, I would say by most people's standards, I can do it at this point. And that feels really cool. Yeah, totally. It, like if, even if you're still climbing, you know, it's always nice to be able to turn around and reflect and, and look down at the mountain from, from your height, where you are and see how far you've come. I think that's a really important part of, of remaining, disciplined and remaining excited about something that you want to practice for a very long time is to celebrate, you know, so celebrate your successes. Yeah, definitely. When I look at like, uh, if I can, if I find a video, if a video pops up on Facebook from like two years ago today, and I see like where I was then versus where I am now, it's just a really, um, even though I was already like five years into, uh, practicing handstands, the amount of progress I made in the last uh, two years has really been, it's just night and day. It looks like someone who's been, it looks like I've been practicing like three times as long. Yeah. So I've got two follow-up questions about that story. Um, first of all, did it, was it difficult for you to, um, to compromise your other types of trainings in order to commit the time that Olaf made it very clear you were going to have to set aside to, to focus on this. That's the, the first question. Yeah. And the second question is what about your conversation with Olaf or whatever it was that, that triggered you onto really committing to this was, was different because you said you had tried training it before, but this time you really made the decision to go for it. Yeah. Okay. So did a practice, uh, did, did I have to give up aspects of another practice? Um, I think one thing that I really tried to do is I, from this outset, um, I really try to create practices that work in uh, synergy. So, um, though I didn't do like a, I think one thing that hand balance really made me kind of adapt to is it made me realize like a traditional like vinyasa yoga class wasn't going to be the best way for me to get my body ready for handstands in a lot of ways, like doing a lot of uh, chaturanga up dog, down dog. It, uh, it can tire you out in a way that's not necessarily productive for, and it depends how much you do. Like if you're doing like five or 10, like that's probably not going to, be too much but if you do like a hardcore uh like a shtanga class and you practice that for two hours by the time you get to like your one arm training you're going to just probably be spent um mm -hmm. so i adapted and a lot of my uh yoga practice became 
what some people would call more flexibility training. It's all still like, uh, it's very movement based. It's very, it is very yogic in a way. It just doesn't stop. Um, and it also, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't mix so much like the, it's not broken up by chaturangas, but it'll very much be working into my hips and working into my shoulders in just a, in just a different way. Um, so it's not so much my movement practice didn't really take a backseat. If anything, it became almost more important um, because the hand balancing can be so much easier when you have flexibility on your side. Like if someone is tight in the hamstrings and has trouble getting their arms over their head because of tight lats or tight pecs, it can really it can make handstands much, much harder. But when your body is uh, flexible and strong, everything just falls into place much, much easier. Uh, I think one thing that had take, did take, uh, which practice did take a hit a little bit as far as like practice time would be acro at times. Um, just because I was spending so much time uh, doing hand balancing. Um, at the end of the day, I would often just be tired and I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't do as many, I wouldn't spend as much time doing acro yoga with my partner just because my arms were dead. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I would then maybe just adapt that practice to doing things that were a little bit more focused on using my legs um, or just things that focus more on really efficient stacking. So it my practice definitely had a change, but I wouldn't say I really had to let anything go. And that was, that was really nice. Maybe just my free time. I had to let a little <laughs> bit of my, my social media, my, uh, yeah. my posting frequency to Instagram took a hit would probably be the biggest thing. And maybe that was a blessing. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. That's where that, uh, that's where that obsession comes in. Yeah. It's like, are you willing to give up free time? Are you willing to use free time to work on whatever it is that is, has caught your mind and, and heart's attention? Yeah, 100%. Because, you know, like a lot of that uh, downtime can be really, we can really enjoy it. Like, you might really enjoy being able to go on Reddit or check your Instagram. Um, but, you know, if you're devoting three hours a day to practicing something, like there's, you know, if you're going to answer all your emails and you're going to make sure you respond to everyone's messages, like something might have to give. And it might be... Uh, might be end. your next Netflix binge watching session. I know, man. Sometimes you have to let it go to move on. <laughs> Take the hard loss. Yeah. And what was, uh, what was part two of the question? Part two of the question was, what do you think it was about this go around that allowed you or inspired you to really commit to following through? Because as you said, it was you know a 20-month journey to get where you are now. And in the beginning, the progress was not obvious. So how were you able to remain disciplined and committed to this? Yeah. So when I first started, uh, so like I mentioned, the one arm handstand kind of was always kind of up on this pedestal. Um, you would see like pictures of it or, you know, you're kind of like doing a two arm handstand and the next, uh, if you can do that, like if you feel comfortable there, the natural uh, inclination is like, oh, what if I can just do one hand? Um, yeah. What, what can I take away? <laughs> yeah. And I, um, 
I did some lessons and in one lesson I did with a guy that was in Cirque du Soleil, um, he put me through the practice and he put me through a really hardcore, like, uh, hour of handstand training. And it was really valuable to feel how difficult that was and to have him say the things he did, but there wasn't much that I could do on my own. He kind of spotted me through it all. And it was kind of like, I left and it was like, okay, well, I can't do any of that. And then I had another <laughs> lesson, uh, like several months later. And this guy was, he was really good. He gave me a good set of progressions. Um, but then like around our third lesson, I asked him, uh, if I keep doing these practices and I keep doing the drills every day, um, how long do you think it'll be until I have a one-arm handstand? And he told me, you don't have a two-arm handstand yet. What are you, why are you asking about one arm? And that was like a big shot to the ego. And, um, cause you thought you had one. Oh yeah. I mean, I, uh, I was In your already, mind, te- you had one. Yeah. I was already teaching people handstands. I could base and fly hand to hands. I, um, I could, do lots of things in handstands. I could hold it. So to me, it was like, I, I can do a two-arm handstand. What are you talking about? And um, I just found that pretty uh, uninspiring. Um, well, what did he mean by that? Uh, well, his, uh, so his specific, well, the test that he gave me was he's like a, uh, it means that you can hit a handstand every time. And he told me to pike jump into a handstand. And I tried a pike jump and I didn't hit it. And, you know, that was, you know, that was vindication for him. And that was like me kind of having to like bow my head down in defeat. Um, even though, you know, like I could, I could definitely do a pike jump to handstand. I just didn't hit it first try. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was speaking by circus standards. Um, like if you're going to perform it in a show, like you have to have it every single time. Like there's no missing it because you know, this is what you're being paid. Cause you're on perform. display. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So by that standard, um, yeah, I didn't have it. Um, or at least I didn't have that entry to handstand. Um, but you know, I, I don't think that was like so much like that definitely didn't shut me down, but I think I started to have like some sort of unrelated, uh, or not directly related, like wrist injury for a few months, but let's say maybe like six months down the line, I kind of had this renewed um, interest in it for whatever reason. And I had heard about Olaf. Um, I, had, I knew a lot of really good people practice with Olaf and I, uh, I took a lesson with him and just the way that he supports students wherever they are in the journey, kind of working with where they're coming from, uh, where they want to go with it he just does a really, really incredible balance of motivating you and like being perfectly honest with uh, the work that you need to do, but then also celebrating where you're already at and making you feel good about how you're practicing today. And I think that was the big thing that really set him apart and is why I've uh, kept him as my coach. He gave me things that I could both, he both adapted the way I was currently doing things. So he he uh he adjusted my handstand line in a way that was profoundly different. Uh, just made me stack in a different way than I had ever done before. And then he gave me what sort of steps I could work on 
for progressing towards one arms on my own. And he's uh, based out of Montreal and he comes to New York every six to eight weeks usually. So I kept getting to have a check-in with him every few months and getting to keep seeing the progress when I met up with him and he's like, Oh yeah, this is really great. It's moving along and him progressing me through drills while I was working with him, but then also seeing the progress on my own. I think one of the big things that kept me motivated was just seeing how much better my two arm handstand got because I was training for the one arm so intensely. Mm -hmm. Um, And just seeing like, Oh wow, my handstand has never been this, my two arm handstand has never been this consistent or I've never had this much like fine control of the different like tiny aspects, like the positioning of my ribs and the push of my shoulders. Um, and then Olaf's coaching along with several other people throughout the last year and a half, I'll just rattle off a few names, uh, to make sure everyone, uh, gets a little bit of credit. Um, so Yuri Marmerstein, I've worked with him uh, on several occasions. Adrian McCabot has been really helpful for a few things. Sasha Bachman, um, another world-class hand balancer, he's been very helpful. I've taken some lessons with Chris Gotti, another like uh, former gymnast turned circus, Cirque du Soleil star. Um, and then also a really big part of it has been the, uh, the friends that have actually trained uh, one arms with me. So I have a little crew of people that meet up at my studio and we've, we train uh, on our own. And then we also come together to train one arms and, you know, getting to go through that, uh, uh, that process is super valuable. So just getting to see where other people are in the journey and kind of all kind of commiserating on it together. <laughs> so my friends, Ian, uh, Ian Barukovich, Dave Hawes, Samantha Starr, um, Doris Skelton, they've all, we've all kind of been training, uh, the hand balancing for the past two years together. And it's been really incredible to see everyone make their own progress. And a bunch of people go from not having one arms to having one arms. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and I agree with you. I'm with you on that, that the, you know, the value of a teacher who sees you and motivates you, um, but also it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, doesn't compromise on, on your, their highest vision for you. That can't be understated. And the value of having a community that you practice with also cannot be understated. These things go together and feed your journey, feed your soul in different ways that are very complementary. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'd love for, to hear a little bit about your upcoming acro training, if you're willing to share um, for people who are interested in, you know, the types of practices that you are teaching and empowering others to teach. Yeah, no, I absolutely love uh, sharing acro yoga and partner acrobatics. It's a really incredible practice that teaches you so much about yourself. It teaches you that you're capable of things that you wouldn't have thought were possible Um, very much in the same way that a lot of people discover in yoga where they never thought they could touch their foot to their head, or they never thought they could do a handstand. Acro kind of offers an opportunity where that's almost accelerated beyond belief. Um, So we have our next round of acro teacher training. It's we run the acro warrior 
uh, teacher training um, out of my studio, Warrior Bridge, in downtown Manhattan. Um, this next program is going to be split up into four four-day modules. So four immersions where we go Saturday through Tuesday. Um, it'll be spread out spread out over the course of three months. Each module, it's going to be progressive, starting from like the most foundational level material to the last one where it's literally just called the advanced one, kind of a little <laughs> homage to friends. Um, and the way it's set up is you can drop in for a single immersion or even like a weekend uh, just to train with us. Or if you're interested in going through the process and uh, receiving certification and becoming an acro teacher, uh, there's a little bit more involved. Uh, there'll be a lot of ongoing work in the time between the modules, a lot of learning to teach, practice teaching, um, and a lot of individual mentorship. So it's going to be led by myself and my partner, Emily Lashinsky. We also have uh, several of our uh, teachers at the studio, um, Laura Lebron, Mendel Romanenko, Basam Kuba, they'll all be uh, jumping in to teach parts of it. So we have a really incredible crew. This will be our third Acro teacher training. Uh, this is the only Acro teacher training on the East Coast, um, period. There's just no others. Uh, so if you're interested in staying kind of local and uh, kind of diving deep into Acro, this one starts up uh, end of September, September 28th. And then the last module finishes up uh, December 17th. Dope. So that's cool. I didn't realize that people were able to drop in for, uh, individual, uh, components or individual modules of the training. Yeah. We like to keep it open. Uh, cause you know, some people are into it for the full, uh, the full experience, but some people want to just kind of dip their toes in the water. And I find that it doesn't really detract from the group to have, uh, to have more people there. Um, mm -hmm. as long as we have certain prereqs for different modules. So if people are interested in, uh, in coming for some of it, uh, it's, if they're newer, it's definitely going to be better if they drop in for the earlier ones. Um, and it would definitely be good to have a little bit of experience before doing any of these. So we have, a we have the studio down in the South street seaport, uh, where we have classes every day. Uh, we have foundations classes where we take people from like absolutely no experience to becoming acrobats. And then we have like levels that build up through the, we build up from our foundations classes to our open level classes to our intermediate classes. So we really have the programming to kind of support taking people forward in the practice. Nice. Well, the links to Warrior Bridges um, website and social will be in the show notes of this page. So if you're interested in taking the training or visiting Sean, developing some skills, check that out. Sean, now is the time to move on to the final section of our interview, which I call the Prana Round. I'm going to ask you six rapid fire questions and ask you to answer in minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Okay? Yeah, let's give it a go. Okay. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Peace. I think I know the answer to this next one, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What's your favorite yoga pose and why? The splits. I got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being contrary. And um, I love uh, I love working on the splits, uh, like Hanumanasana style. Uh, 
just because it combines, it asks for so many different things, much in the way a handstand does, but uh, the way it asks for like working on the back leg, the front leg, the back bend, and then the way that it brings value to so many other things like mm. handstand. So yeah. uh yeah, you know, I started off in martial arts, so like middle splits and front back splits were always the uh that was always kind of the sign that you would become flexible. So I think that's kind of <laughs> stayed with stayed with me a little bit. Yeah, the status of the split. What is the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from one of your teachers? Push harder. Recommend one book, either modern or ancient, for our listeners. Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Okay. Is yoga for everyone? Those who are willing to work. Final question. How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your dharma? Um, you can find me on Instagram at, at skate jitsu, S K A T E J I T S U. Um, if you want to come find me, I'm usually down at warrior bridge. I teach most days. Um, yeah. And if you want to come train with us, shoot me a message, um, just drop in whenever to say, Hey, I heard you on Henry's show. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always around. Ask awesome. if you can fly. <laughs> awesome. Sean, it's been really fun catching up with you on Dharma Talk, and I look forward to coming by Warrior Bridge and training one arm handstand with you very soon. Yeah, yeah come by this afternoon or <laughs> next, next week. Um, yeah, great talking, Henry. Really glad that we got a chance to connect. Hey, Dharma Talk community. If you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button right now. And if you'd like to show your support even more, leave me an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you listen on. You can also make a financial contribution to keep the show up and running, a donation at henrywins.com. And remember, I'm here to serve you. So if you have any questions or comments or ideas, you can always reach me on Instagram at henrywins. Otherwise, I'll speak to you next week. Keep living your dharma.